You're listening to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim Nidell. Let's go back in time when turtles roam the sewers of New York. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the and knowing was half the battle. Yo, yo! It's time for Saturday Morning Rewind. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Saturday Morning Rewind. I am your host, Tim Nidell. This episode is... Ah, just face it, it's, 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 a, it's a great episode. Paul Rugg is joining me today, also known as Freakazoid. And I love Freakazoid so much. I still do. It's still a great show. In this episode, we talk about Freakazoid and, of course, Animaniacs. Both were incredible, incredible shows. And in this episode, you also find out if he is willing to come back to make new Animaniacs. But before I get into the interview, please remember iTunes reviews are always welcome, like the incredible one that Darkwing Gary L. gave us a few weeks back. I really appreciated what he had to say in that review. So, without further ado, sit back and relax, because here is my interview with Paul Rugg. Hey, you guys in there! You want to watch my show? All right, let's go back a little bit and talk about how you first got started in the world of animation. Ah, uh, boy, that is going back. Um, <laughs> well, I was doing a uh, an improv show um, called, what would we call it back then? We were called the Two Rose Players, I guess. And it was in Studio City in the Valley. And Sherry Stoner, uh, her husband, was our director. And Sherry Stoner being of Tiny Toons fame oh. and, and Animaniacs fame. She was, the, she was the story editor. And uh, they were looking to hire a couple more writers for Animaniacs. And... Um, they gave myself and John McCann, uh, they gave us each uh, a different script to sort of try out. And I guess they were, they were trying out a bunch of, of different writers. And um, so what happened was uh, I wrote it, and uh, John wrote one, John McCann wrote one, I wrote one, and they hired us the very next day. So that is how I got started in animation. Nice. With Animaniacs being my very first job. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's one of the best cartoons of all time, and this is yeah, it was great. It was uh, yeah, it was. It's very surprising. I didn't. Uh, un- unfortunately, it was the best animation job I ever had. So there's only <laughs> down. There's only downhill to go. I guess. <laughs> I guess you can look at it that way. Yeah. yeah well, I won't because I'd be too depressed. So I won't. I'll let you look at it that way. I'll <laughs> pretend I never said that. <laughs> okay. Now, you guys were all over the place when you guys were writing Animaniacs. Um, what in, what inspired you while you were writing Animaniacs? What would you be inspired by to write about? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's really hard. It, it, was, it, it was basically whatever... I mean, we were all different, but uh, it was whatever we found funny that day, or or if we if we really felt we had a a beat on a good on a good um, idea of of you know like Yakko Wacko Dot going against Beethoven, or going against um, or having a little outing with Einstein. Um, but as as far as what inspired the actual, you know, when we were actually in in a script, it was whatever we found funny that day and and now watching it 
because uh, I guess it's playing on the hub now. Mm-hmm. Watching it, it's sort of, when, when I see one of my episodes come on, because I've been watching them with, with my daughter, I can almost be immediately transported 20 years and going, oh, I remember. I was in the mall that day, <laughs> and uh, I remember I saw a man, and he had a cup, and Peter Hastings and I started laughing about his uh, his coffee cup, and I mean, it was it was just that, and and um, there was really no rhyme or reason to any of it. Um, it was just whatever was funny that day before six. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to know. There's one episode that it, it just I just remember it so vividly in my mind. The episode where Dot has to finger for Prince. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah. How in the world did that get passed and, and on television? Um. Were you involved in that writing, or, or somebody else? Uh, you know what? I, I think I might have been straighter on that one, but I, as, as, as I recall, that was... I'm going to blame Peter Hastings for okay. that, that one. Um, uh, no, I think it was Peter... Was that the one where they're, they're detectives on the boat? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that was Peter, I think, unless I'm, I'm messing it up in my, in my head. How did we get away with that? Um <laughs> You would just sort of write it and smile and never say anything to anybody, and 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 as long as nobody noticed, it just sort of happened. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't um, notice it as a kid, you know, so it slipped by me for, for 15, 10 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, stuff, stuff like that, you know, was all, and we hardly ever, and again, um, we can all blame Peter Hastings for this one, but, uh, um, you know, we would just, sort of write it and, and and expect maybe somebody to catch something and if they didn't, well that was okay. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, uh, uh I, I I don't think a lot of that you would <laughs> you would get away with today. No, no. But uh yeah, no. <laughs> now do you have a favorite episode that you remember writing? Oh boy. Favorite episode I remember writing. Um yeah, but my favorite episodes, strangely enough, are no one else's. <laughs> so, uh, um, I I think one of the one of my favorite sort of the uh, the way it eventually came out would be Hearts of Hearts of Twilight, okay. um, which is one where the Warners have to go up studio to uh, stop Jerry Lewis from making the movie, um, which was based on. Um, uh, Apocalypse Now, which was based on the documentary that Francis Ford Coppola's uh, wife did mm-hmm. um, about his sort of slowly going mad and stuff. Um, that was a really painful one to write, but I really liked it afterwards. Probably my most favorite one to write, which I think I wrote in about a day, was one that no one else remembers, which is where uh, Yakko, uh, where... Um, Yakko Wakadot are going to have a dinner party up at the water tower. And um, and so they ask everyone to come, and they think that Steven Spielberg is going to be a guest. <laughs> and it re- it, the whole episode makes no sense. We have Christopher Walken in it, and he's eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches. I, I, I remember just writing that and just having a great time, but uh, I haven't seen that one since, so I might be totally wrong. But I really, I I really liked that one. It made no sense. <laughs> well, most of the best episodes made no sense. That's what I loved about yeah, it. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> now you mentioned Steven Spielberg. He was the executive producer on Animax, also Freakazoid. You know, when I think of him, I don't think of somebody with a great sense of humor. But obviously, I'm wrong, right? 
Oh yeah, no, he um, he would, uh, you know, when I was first hired, and uh, you know, obviously it's like, wow, Steven Spielberg, executive producer. I was like, wow, that's pretty great, but we never hear from him, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. he doesn't do anything, right? And uh, and I was totally wrong. He would he would read everything, and um, then some sometimes plus jokes by saying, you know what should happen? You know, the ball shouldn't roll down there. The ball should actually come from the left side, and it should roll down, and then it hits a it hits a garbage truck, and turn, and so he would just like take take off and stuff. Um, so yeah, he uh, he really un- understood comedy and understands comedy. Um, as far as the animation goes, uh, and he would he would plus a lot of jokes. It's amazing how he he was. I don't know that many nowadays, at least, that would get that involved in in, in their cartoons. Yeah, no, he was really involved. I, I remember uh, we would uh, they would send him each of our best drafts. So you know, we would in, internally uh, we would bat a script around a couple times and do a couple of revisions. And then from there, it would go to Stephen. And we would sort of wait, and um, we would get our notes based on that that script. Hmm. And it would be, you know, like, hey, I liked it. I didn't like it. I think on page... And he would get very specific. Like on page five, you know, you say the dot um, glances at Yakko. I don't think I see that. And he would get very specific. So that was cool. <laughs> Now, what about when you guys made fun of him or used him in a script? I bet you he loved that, didn't he? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think he did. Uh, something tells me if he didn't, we would never do it again. <laughs> true, true. We would probably have stopped that. <laughs> and you also worked uh, very close with uh, veteran voice actor Rob Hawson. Do you have any great Rob stories you can tell me? Oh, boy, do I have any great Rob stories? Uh, <laughs> uh well, Rob was just great. Um, Rob, Rob brought so much energy to like Yakko, but he would also do scratch and sniff. And I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite things was uh, was you know us recording a scratch and sniff episode because Rob would go right from you know Yakko to and then he would take a beat and then we would do a scratch and sniff and and how he was able to like change his voice that that dramatically. Mm-hmm within a matter of seconds, always amazed me. So, yeah, but I, 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 I have no specific uh, Rob Paulson story other than he was amazing and is Yeah. Now, like you said earlier, um, Animanix is back on the hub and also the, a new DVD set's coming out just in a, in, in a couple short weeks here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say some new interest sparked in the series. Would you be willing to come back and, and redo it? You know, re launch the series as a new episodes? Um, boy, that's a really good question. Um, I probably would. Um, but you know what? It's, for me, Animaniacs was, uh, was such a certain time. And I think, Mm. I think a lot, a lot of the people writing it would say, wow, that was, that was pretty much where we were all as a group at that time. And I don't know whether we as a group or even individually could, could come back in and sort of, and sort of redo that. Um, I think a new generation could probably take it and say, you know, I, I wouldn't do it. But for me, I don't know whether, I don't know whether I 
uh, whether I had the stamina. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, those were, they were as much fun as they were. Um, they were really hard yeah. because we, we tried to never do the same joke twice. And, um, and you know, that gets harder after a while. And, uh, and they were kind of hard to, to write. They were fun, but they were, they were challenging. Yeah. So I guess, I don't think I really answered your question. Just in case someone does call me tomorrow and say we're doing 1,500 more, <laughs> I'm not saying no. So... All right, good to know. Yeah, I can definitely see, you know, kind of like what they're doing with the, the new Ninja Turtles, like having a fan come in and and remaking that magic that was in the 80s, you know, having a fan of Animaniacs coming back out and producing a new a new run. Right. Which would be great as long as, you know, they kept it along with the same type of formula. You know, they kept it as close to the original as they could. Right, and, and you know, that, that show was basically about... Um, you know, just being really silly and fun, and the the biggest the biggest detriment I would see to 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 basically getting a show like that to be greenlit again is that uh, I think the powers that be might force might force the writing to actually make sense, like. Yeah. You know, what happens these days, it's like, okay, you've got your character. So what, what happened to your character at the beginning of the story, and, and how after 11 pages is he going to be different? And what did he learn, and what was this all about? And, and I, I, I swear to you, we never, we never did that once, ever. And if we did that once on Anime Next way back when, we sort of made fun of that mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, it, it would take someone really brave to say, I want you to do the same sort of thing, um, uh, and and I don't know whether I don't know whether the market will bear it. That's but true. I could be told. I, I could be totally wrong. That is true because a lot of the modern day cartoons seem to be really story driven and not not the slapsticky you know comedy that was great in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely story driven, and and I think a lot of that is because um, everyone is involved now and. And everybody's written books on screenwriting and uh-huh. writing, and and you know sometimes we're we're talking about a, a six minute cartoon, and <laughs> I, I I swear to you I I have had meetings, um, well not recently but within the past two years or so, where uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous that we are talking about something that is just basically silly. But there's so much talk about it, and um, in in order to do show show like Anime Next, you, you need an executive producer like Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. and you need a boss like Gene McCurdy, who is uh, who is uh, our boss at Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. who basically says, "I don't want to read it right now. I just want you guys to do it and uh, make it funny." Mm-hmm. And there aren't there aren't a lot of people like that yeah. anymore. That's true. Boy, I'm getting depressed. No. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Let's, let's move on from one great show to another great show and talk about Freakazoid a little bit. How cool. how does a writer turn into the lead actor in, in Freakazoid? How did you get the role of Freakazoid? Uh, it was total desperation uh-huh. on the part of the of the production. We we um, 
we basically inherited the show. It, it, it was first going to be a, a sort of a, a darkish superhero uh, show with comedic overtones um, that Paul Dini and Bruce Tim had been working on. Um, and I guess Stephen, who was associated with it, uh, wanted it to be a little bit more out, outlandish and a little bit more silly. So um, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim sort of left because they wanted to do, you know, their Paul Dini, Bruce Tim thing. Uh-huh. And um, so we were sort of, I don't think we were given a choice. <laughs> it was like, you're going to work on this now. So uh, we were really under the gun. We didn't know too much what we were going to do. We didn't know much about the character. And we were just writing and writing and writing. And then when it came time to audition people, we literally would bring people into a booth one by one and, and say, we have no idea what the <laughs> character is. We'd, we'd love to be able to tell you with some degree of specificality uh, what he sounds like and what he is, and we had none of it. And so we would we auditioned and auditioned and uh, auditioned, and um, eventually Tom Ruger, our executive producer, um, told me to go in the booth and sort of approximate the way I thought it sounded. And then from there, um, they they recorded that and sent it to Stephen, and Stephen said, just have Paul do it. Just, we have to do a show. So that's basically <laughs> how I got, nice. that's basically how I got hired. Nice. Now, now wasn't Jeff Bennett at, at one point attached to it? Yeah, Jeff was one of the guys, um, and, and what, what they had me do and didn't have Jeff basically do was they had me basically improv a lot and, and, and go off script. Uh, and because what, what I would do, I, I would do that sometimes to sort of get into to character. So what Tom Ruger did was he took all of that ridiculous stuff that made no sense and, and cut it into my audition. <laughs> and, and, and what Tom was basically doing uh, with that was saying that that's what he wanted the show to okay. do. He, he, he wanted the show to have that much anarchy, and, um, and, and that was sort of a voyage of discovery. So the, I think Jeff Bennett would have been the voice had they been going for a professional, <laughs> <laughs> a professional good sound. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Tom was... Tom was really going for it, and and um, and he was going for something that was a little bit more raw and um, crappy <laughs> <laughs> and scrappy and weird, and and um, and plus I I had the sort of the improv background, so I think that's why um, eventually uh, they didn't want to put Jeff through that, and they knew that I had to be there anyway because I had yeah. written a lot of it, so it was like. It's your fault, Paul. You got to <laughs> Speaking of writing, I think you wrote one of my favorite episodes, the, the Candlejack episode, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a classic one. Yes. Well, now you're going oh, to disappear, man. but that's okay. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, that, that, that one was um, John McCann and I uh, both set out to write two different um, Spreakazoids. One was, uh, I, I wrote Candlejack, and John wrote uh, Dance of... Dance of Doom. Okay. And uh, and they're two sort of, you can sort of see us sort of trying to work out what Freakazoid is there because John's just totally crazy and mine 
just totally crazy. And and uh, but what John and I discovered with those two was um, like the middle section there where Freakazoid basically walks off camera, stops talking, starts talking about F Troop. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't end it, by the way. We we have Paul Harvey come in and, and wrap up the episode, um, which you could not do today if you had a million dollars. You you couldn't do that to kids and say, guess what? Uh, <laughs> this episode didn't matter. We're just going to have Paul Harvey come in and wrap it up. Uh-huh. Um, and... What was so great about that was that was exactly the show I wanted to work on. Yep. It was like, oh, yeah, I want to work on a show that, like, halfway through, you just have a character come in and and say how it all wrapped up. Uh, Yes, I want to work on that show. Mm -hmm. And whose idea was it to make um, make it so Frigatory can't fly? Ah... No, I think that was probably, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. That could have, well, no, that wouldn't have been. I think maybe Tom and John and I uh, talked about his limitations. And I think I suggested that, well, he could at least put his hand in the air and make noise. <laughs> uh, and I think Tom was like, I think that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it, what it was. We were like, what is the dumbest thing we can possibly think of? Um, and let's just go with it and, and, and have fun with it. Uh-huh. And, and I have to know, where did your obsession with Jerry Lewis come from? Have you been doing him forever? Yeah, I, I was doing Jerry Lewis in, in high school. I don't know how, you know, I would be, I'd be the kid in the, you know, fifth, fifth grade going, Oh, yeah, I'd like to turn on some of these. Could I have some pencils, please? Um, and, uh, I grew up in Las Vegas and Jerry Lewis was always around Las Vegas and he always used to do the, uh, uh, Labor Day telethon, the muscular dystrophy telethon from, from Las Vegas back in those days. And, uh, I, I would go as, as a kid, I would go with my buddies and when we we're in high school, I'd go and we'd go to the, the, the 3 a.m. Um, sitting of the telethon and watch Jerry basically go insane. <laughs> and uh, and I'm a big fan of, of his, um, like the bellhop, the bellboy, yeah, yeah. um, of, um, of the one where he's the errand boy, all, all that stuff. I just, uh, I, I, I just, I think he's, he's great. The young Jerry, yep. of course, There's when you get into the older, you know, the more contrite, the more abundular, the more self-loathing Jerry, the one who <laughs> speaks in, in in euphemisms. That's that's the Jerry that I could do without. But yeah, it, I think most people can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get to meet him? Uh, no, we tried to hire him once on a show I had done at Disney, uh, and he didn't want to do it. Oh, but man. I, I do know that he did see our stuff, and he he didn't hate it. So there you go. <laughs> you would have heard about it. Yeah, we would have heard. And um, so the best I, I can say is that he didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it. That's all I can say. That could be on his tombstone. He didn't hate it. You're right. <laughs> all right. What are you currently? What are you currently working on? Aren't you writing a book right now? 
Well, I I sort of threatened to on my blog. Called, okay. Uh, um, and I, I am actually going to do it, but then um, I sold a show, um, uh, a live-action pilot to Nickelodeon, which mm-hmm. I'm working on right now. Um, and that sort of uh, work actually took me away from uh, playing. Uh-huh. And then uh, I'm doing a voice uh, for uh, a new show on Disney called The Seven Bees. Oh. Which, by the way, is being done by Tom Ruger. Uh, he's the executive producer, and Sherry Stoner uh, of uh, Animaniac nice. fame is the um, is the uh, story editor. So, um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Well, awesome, man. And Paul, I mean, I must say that I'm a huge Animaniacs and, and Freakazoid fan. Probably two of my favorite cartoons of all time. So it's been a true pleasure talking with you. I'm a huge fan of everything you've done, really. Oh, thank you very much. So thank you so much. Stay tuned. Can you, okay. uh, is there any way I can get you to close the podcast as Freakazoid? Sure. <clears throat> Hi everyone, it's Freakazoid. Low Bridge, Tim Nidell has a blog. Oh, let us all enjoy his blog. How was that? <laughs> his podcast, Tim Nidell's brilliant podcast. Hi everyone, it's Freakazoid, and I always love listening to 